Welcome to Slow Stories. I'm Rachel Schwartzman, the founder of Connected Editorial and the host and creator of this podcast. For those of you just joining in, Slow Stories is a series that deep dives into the rising slow content movement. In each of these episodes, I interview brand builders, entrepreneurs, and creative professionals who share what slow content means in the context of what they're building and why slowing down and creating thoughtful stories is more important than ever. Today's episode begins with an opening story from Kara Zawacki via our most recent installment of Soul Stories, a segment featuring slow and soul stories that inspire members of our community. If you haven't listened to these episodes, be sure to add them to your queue, but in the meantime, here's more from Kara. Hey, my name is Kara Zawacki and I'm a marketing strategist based in New York City. Because of the pandemic, my partner and I have been away from the city for more than a month, which is the longest I've ever been away from New York since I moved there more than five years ago. And I've been really missing it. Like, not just the bars and restaurants and life in general that comes from living in a giant metropolitan area, but the energy, the quirks, the inside jokes you become in on when you really live in a city like New York. Anyway, last week, the great Irish poet E. Van Poland died and I came across some of her work, and it really blew me away. I loved one poem in particular, titled Atlantis, A Lost Sonnet. It was written in 2007, but through the lens in which I was reading it, in the middle of a global pandemic, missing home, it really spoke to me. It made me nostalgic for the city I left behind, and I'm mourning in a way, but also for the one I know will emerge again, forced to change, but the result somehow a little better than how I left it. The poem is short, so I'll read it for you here. How on earth did it happen, I used to wonder, that a whole city, arches, pillars, colonnades, not to mention vehicles and animals, had all, one fine day, gone under. I mean, I said to myself, the world was small then. Surely a great city must have been missed. I miss our old city. White pepper, white pudding, you and I, meeting under fan lights and low skies to go home in it. Maybe what really happened is this. The old fable makers searched hard for a word to convey that what is gone is gone forever, and never found it. And so, in the best traditions of where we come from, they gave their sorrow a name and drowned it. Thank you so much again to Kara for sharing. Again, the poem she read is Atlantis, A Lost Sonnet. Now, here's my interview with Lale Arakaglu of Condé Nast Traveler. If we've learned anything in recent months, it's to appreciate the journey just as much as the destination. And when it comes to modern travel, this idea couldn't be more timely. Just ask Lale Arakaglu. As the senior lifestyle editor of Condé Nast Traveler, Lale has combined her journalistic roots and love of travel to create a space that informs and inspires a global community on a regular basis. Most notably, Lale has taken her love for the travel community one step further by spearheading Condé Nast Traveler's Women Who Travel Initiative, a podcast and editorial series that features perspectives from women around the world. This project alone keeps Lale in the know and on the go. But closer to home, Lale has been reckoning with the recent impact on the travel industry as a result of COVID-19. And while she may not be able to jet set around the globe as she once did, her conscious outlook is helping to rewrite a new story around traveling and living with intention. 
In this interview, Lale spoke about her relationship with slow storytelling, her hopes for the travel industry post-pandemic, and the importance of being discerning in our chaotic digital landscape. There's a lot to get into, so without giving too much more away, here's my conversation with Lale Aracoglu of Condé Nast Traveler. I am senior lifestyle editor at Condé Nast Traveler, and I co-host the Women Who Travel podcast and oversee the Women Who Travel editorial content for Traveller. Um, but outside of that, I'm from London. I've lived in New York for six, seven years now, and I'm based in Brooklyn. Um, currently quarantined inside a very lovely but very small apartment. Um, and, you know, I think when you ask a journalist and an editor what they enjoy outside of their profession it's a really hard question to answer because if you are lucky enough to have this job um, it is a job that encapsulates a lot of what you already love so I love to read and I love to write and I love to tell stories and I love to travel and all of those things um, overlap with my job Um, but I think You know, I mean, the last couple of months, I think, has forced everyone to think about what they really value in their life. And I value my career a lot. Um, And it has been a huge part of my life and has been a massive anchor for me in New York. And not having the routine of going into the office every day, although I am still very lucky to be working full time. Um, has kind of forced me to think about what those other things that I value perhaps in a way that I hadn't before. Um, And it is what everyone's valuing right now. It is friends and it's family and it's eating in restaurants and going to parties and having human connection. Um, And it's funny because um, I've always used books and reading as a sort of source of comfort and guidance and I don't know about you, Rachel, but I cannot focus on a book right now. Um, I my concentration span has like um, gone out of the window, and it's really strange to not be able to connect as well with something that I valued my entire life. Um, and suddenly, it's like not providing that comfort for me in a way that it had before. I actually am in the opposite boat. I've read sixteen books this year already. <laughs> so jealous. <laughs> I mean, I think it's just ebbs and flows, right? Like you have to connect with the story. And I think, you know, in the vein of slowness, you have to give yourself that permission to really slow down and be in the moment and in the story that you're absorbing. And it's hard because we both work in content and media and we're just being inundated with all of this tragedy and stress. So, you know, to really be able to commit to something that might be outside of that realm, I can understand why it might be hard for you. Yeah, and I think so much of it, you know, you know, what you said about being kind of creating content all day and kind of being bombarded with this content that is filled with like tragedy and sadness. And I'm fully aware that I'm saying this as someone who works for a travel magazine, but everything obviously that we talk about and write about right now is through the lens of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you don't switch your brain off from that when you close your laptop. And I think think staring at a screen all day and and having to 
constantly be reading the news and reading Twitter and thinking creatively around what's happening, um, then means that when I need my brain to slow down and focus on a piece of fiction or a different type of writing, um, I'm finding it really hard. Um, But recently I will say that um, I have started, it's starting to click more. And I think part of it is letting myself um, give up on a book if it's not working for me, which is not something that I tend to do. I like to, if I'm halfway through, I'll force myself to finish it. But recently I've just, if something's not, I'm not connecting with it. I'm like, I, I will revisit it at a different time in my life. I'm in that right now with a trilogy that I'm reading, but I feel like I'm on the third book. So I just need to see it through to the end, but I'm right there with you. And I guess outside of books, has there been a particular story, news article, even poem that's resonated with you recently or made you slow down and kind of regain some of that hope that might be lost? Um, You know, there has been, I don't know if you saw in the, New Yorker um in the latest issue actually there is a new feature by Ben Taub who um actually just won the Pulitzer um called 36,000 feet under the sea um and the piece is a gorgeous 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 long read um that follows explorers um exploring the bottom of the ocean and you know I think it's one thing that has been helping me is finding those stories that force you to you have to sit with them for a long time and you have to actually spend some time to read them and another example of that has been um you know Taffy's celebrity profiles for the New York Times magazine um and you know I think just kind of diving into those into her archive um has also been really helpful because it's just like somehow it feels um quite escapist um just reading these like kind of deep dives into these celebrity lives I mean the recent one she just did for the times was um Val Kilmer and um you know it was just it was so different from everything else that I've been reading and it just like I think it's finding these long reads that just give you moments of pause um, and you have to sit and focus on them in the same way that you do a book has been really helpful for me. Um, And then I think like outside of this current moment, when I think of what's forced me to slow down, um, it's often been when I'm traveling and things have gone wrong on a trip. Um, It's something that we talk a lot about on the Women Who Travel podcast. which I co-host with Meredith Carey. And, um, you know, she always uses an example of when she was in um, London and all her plans fell through and she stayed in the hotel room all day and like had a bubble bath and watched TV. And I've definitely had moments like that. And I think it's sort of when you accept that you don't have control over everything, um, it forces you to kind of slow down. And I think then on a sort of grander scale, you have you know the pandemic is a sort of very extreme example of that happening yeah I think all of that really provides a nice runway to speak to some of these themes in a professional context when it comes to storytelling because as you mentioned in addition to being a consumer of content you are also spearheading so many of these incredible stories through the lens of travel 
And even before Condé Nast Traveler, you were at Observer and have generally just been in this space for a while. And with that in mind, I'm wondering, you know, what have been some of the biggest changes that you've seen in storytelling since you started in the business? Because even storytelling as a phrase has become a buzzword or one of those things where you're like, all right, what does that really mean? I think a buzzword is um, kind of the perfect way to describe what um, storytelling has kind of morphed into um you know like on the scale of things I haven't been in media that long I'm you know 31 um so I think like I've only worked in it in the internet age and a very specific type of the internet age um but I do you know I think I joined when things like Gorka were still very much alive and well and they are not any more um and so I do think that a certain type of internet writing has gone away um but that I think that um there has sort of never been more great storytelling out there online to explore um but I think more than what I've seen change in storytelling I think I've started to see what's missing Mm. um and especially in legacy media and you know one of the reasons why we wanted to start women who travel is that you know travel writing in particular has always been very male dominated and also very white male dominated and when you have that you only have a specific type of story being told and the world is seen through a very specific set of eyes and cultural context um and we wanted to find a all sorts of women to tell their travel stories because people travel for different reasons and people move around the world in different ways and experience the world in different ways you know the way that a man moves through the world is very different from how I as a white woman moves around the world and the way I move around the world is very different from how a woman, woman of color moves through the world or how an LGBTQ traveler moves through the world. Um, and all those stories need to be told, but some of them haven't as much. Um, and so when we, you know, we felt so strongly there was a gap in this type of content and this type of storytelling and also started to notice there was a real hunger for it, um, especially when we started our Women Who Travel Facebook group, which, you know, in a just a couple of years went from, you know, zero members to 150,000 members um, from all around the world. And it's all women sharing their stories and turning to each other for advice or inspiration because they weren't finding it anywhere else. And they, they, you know, they weren't finding it in mainstream travel publications. Um, And so for me, that's been a very exciting change in storytelling that I feel like I've got to be involved with. And I'm hoping that you know, uh, you know, us and other publications seeing that hunger for a different type of travel story will mean that we have more of them going forward. Yeah. I mean, I obviously love women who travel and I think it's a really great example 
of slower content in this time where we're all kind of collectively realizing that we have a responsibility to be thoughtful and slow down and recalibrate all facets of our lives, specifically our digital lives. And I think that verticals and projects like this will push forward what is being referred to as the slow content movement. And you know, the heart of what slow stories is about is really exploring what that means in the context of what each of our guests are working on. And so with all of that said, what does slow content mean to you right now? I mean, I think it's kind of what I touched on a little bit before um, when you asked if there had been any stories that had resonated with me. Um, And, you know, personally, those sorts of long reads and reported pieces are what I connect to as a reader. Um, But really, I think, one of the reasons why I always find such joy when I read them is it's about finding moments of pause online. I think the internet is so loud. And, you know, if you open Twitter, for example, it feels like you're opening a door and everyone is screaming at you and you just want to slam it shut again. And it can feel very overwhelming, especially in moments like this, when the world feels kind of out of control. Um, And so I think slow content for me is being able to like find those moments of quiet in it, whether it's with a reported feature or a personal narrative. I think there is so much great content online right now. I think we're spoiled for it. And I think, you know, going back to what I was saying about how for a long time we've had a very specific type of person telling these stories to us, one of the amazing things about the internet is it has provided a platform for everyone to tell those stories but you have to just find them and so for me slow content is about being more choice with what I read I think um you know even now I'm looking at my screen and I have like 20 tabs open and when I think about actually what I'm going to read out of those tabs it's a sliver of it um so I think it's kind of it's it's sort of curating my internet more Um, And I think by doing that, it then slows it down um, and kind of creates that idea of slow content for me. Definitely. And I think, too, kind of widening the definition of content. So, you know, in addition to things that you read, um, doing interviews or listening to interviews like this, where you can kind of stimulate your senses and hear somebody speaking and connect on other levels is something that I'm personally interested in partially why I wanted Slow Stories to start as a podcast. And I think that you do that so well with Women Who Travel as a podcast. And I'm curious about what stuck out to you as you have human-to-human conversations, sometimes remote, sometimes in person, and how that's uh, impacted the Women Who Travel ethos and experience. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think it's sort of two-pronged because I think that's firstly for me as an interviewer, it has um been like an amazing new experience for me and I think has like you know forced me to slow down in a while in a way like when you are talking to someone in a podcast or radio format you kind of suddenly have the opportunity to let the conversation kind of take its own take on its own life a little bit more I think you get to answer follow-up questions in a way that Maybe you don't if you are doing a um, an interview that's for a more structured um, written piece. Um, I think it's taught me to listen in a in a different and better way. 
um, when I'm talking to interviewees and to also be mindful of my co-host Meredith and us being able to communicate with each other while we're also doing this interview and I think that has been really valuable for me and then I think as someone who's like consuming content I mean you you just get different stories out of it and I think again there is something that is so valuable right now about not looking at a screen and there is something very immersive about a podcast and you absorb a story in a different way whether it is a narrative podcast or whether it is an interview format like we do um and I think you often um I don't know, you start to, when you listen, listen to podcasts and recorded pieces, you, you sort of notice things in a way that you, you don't get to when you're reading something. You hear the pauses, you hear the inflections in someone's voice, you hear them hesitate or get excited in a way that is, um, you know, does get lost on the page a little bit. Um, and so I think for me that has brought on like a really wonderful dimension to women who travel and I think also has allowed us to bring people in from the community to tell their stories that maybe um wouldn't have been able to if it was um on a in an interview that was just published um on the internet. Yeah. And has it changed the way that you approach writing? Hmm. Has it has it I don't think so. I don't think it's changed my approach to writing, but I think it has changed my approach to the questions I craft before I talk to someone. Um, and I think, you know, when you do it every week, you I used to be really nervous before I recorded the podcast, which is ridiculous because it wasn't live. There was literally no reason for me to feel nervous. Um, but by doing it every week. I have felt more comfortable in myself and therefore become more comfortable as an interviewer. And I think that's when you then start to get better questions. And so in that way, it's definitely impact my writing. But that said, I still hate the sound of my own voice and it is like nails on a blackboard every time I listen back to an episode. I think that's a shared kind of thing. I'm definitely introverted and shy by nature, but I think being in this space and being so immersed in content, I really felt like I owed it to myself to not use content, um, I don't want to say to hide behind, but as something to restrict myself or my identity. And I think that by doing this podcast and physically using my voice and engaging, that that's where the balance comes in because it forces me to kind of step away from the screen. And, you know, even if we're doing this remotely, it at least infuses some humanity that might have otherwise been lost no, I think it's so true. I mean, like, how many scenarios are there where you have to actively put your phone away? It's so rare. Um, and you have to be so focused. And it does, you know, like you said, we're doing this remotely now. But like, when we do actually get to be recording an episode in the studio, it feels like this very sealed off safe space, um, which is incredibly rare. Um, I miss it. Yeah. I mean, I do most of these remotely, but even just taking an hour out of the day to have a conversation has improved the current scenario, especially for me so much. And speaking of safe spaces, you actually wrote a really beautiful essay for women who travel in March called When Home is Suddenly Out of Reach. 
And as we kind of go through this new normal and as you look back on the piece and, you know, all of your experiences in creating a space for women to share these really compelling stories, I'm wondering how your outlook on safe spaces and home has changed as a result of everything we're going through and as a result of this slowness. I think it's probably, I don't think it's changed it, but I think this situation has amplified it. I mean, you know, I I talk about this in the piece, but, you know, if you're lucky enough to move abroad for a job or a relationship or anything that is voluntary and exciting, um, it's, you kind of take for granted the fact that you can go home whenever you want. Um, And if I'm honest, like, I just never really thought about the fact that at some point I wouldn't be able to fly home and see my family um until this happened um and that is obviously a um shared experience among many people right now all around the world um and I think it's it's forced me to kind of think about like what still makes London home and also like what makes New York home for me because right now like my apartment is that safe space that you talk about like it is my refuge it is it is the place that I am supposed to stay in to not only keep myself safe, but also to keep others safe. And that is sort of like the definition of what a home is. But at the same time, like London is still home. It's where my family is. It's where the friends that I grew up with is. It's like the place that like made me who I am. And like that hasn't changed. Um, And if anything, I think it's just like made me sort of more confused as to sort of like what home is supposed to be um and I think you know everyone there's been so much talk about finding the value in having to slow down during this period and this this stillness and this quietness and how that's something in this like you know very hectic 21st century life that we lead feels very rare but that slowness is kind of only joyful when it's chosen. And right now it doesn't feel chosen. Like you want to be able to balance it out with moments of, um, you know, I think at least I think if, if you're like me and you live somewhere like New York and you love being in a city, like you want that slowness when you choose to have it, but at the same time you want to offset it with loudness and the freneticness of a city and, all the kind of madness that a population of like eight, nine million people brings to a place. Um, and now all New York has is slowness and stillness. Um, so it's sort of like, I've been, feel like last year for me was very, very hectic and career-wise was probably one of like the most exciting years I've had. And I got to travel loads, you know, I was working on amazing projects. I was collaborating with fantastic women. Um, I was getting on a plane like, you know, four times a month um, and seeing so much of just even America that I hadn't seen before. And then suddenly, and, and I felt pretty burnt out by the end of the year and was yearning for a weekend where I did nothing but just watch Netflix and sit on my couch. And now I have that every day and I feel like I've, kind of been given too much of a good thing (laughs) yeah everything in moderation 
but it's funny. Well, well, it's not funny. It's interesting because I think as you were speaking, some of the statements you were making were almost coming through as these reflective questions. And I think what I've learned about slowing down is that we do kind of speak in questions because we're trying to figure out how to navigate and prioritize what's important to us. And, you know, I think generally we're giving ourselves this runway when we do this to be able to ask ourselves these questions and in turn have conversations like this that we might not normally take the time to have otherwise. And so I'm always curious if there is a particular question that you hope people start asking you more often, whether it's about the future of travel or the state of how we relate to one another, just generally as we navigate this challenging time. I mean, I think this is a question that I have been asking people, especially um, women who work within the travel space or and outside of it, um, which is what change do you want to come out of this moment? And I think that is a good question to always ask because a spotlight has been shone on so many things that aren't working right now. Um, And this does feel like an opportunity to change some things. Um, You know, I was talking to the chef uh, Dominique Crenn um, the Mm -hmm. other day for an interview that I'm working on and she raised several of these issues. And, you know, one of the things she talked about, which has been coming up a lot, is um you know is climate change and how we can live more sustainably and i think you know that is an example of we've been kind of been given an opportunity to change the way we're living a bit and it's sort of you know i think one of my my concerns is that things will go back to, to in quotes normal and we'll also just slip back into our old ways um you know i think another thing that i i worry about not changing enough after this is equality but you know one thing that obviously is being um discussed a lot right now is the um workload for women at home um when it comes to juggling family responsibilities and um work life when they're working from home and how that doesn't necessarily seem to be equally distributed throughout the household and you know as we you know, that has been so exposed in this moment. So like, how do we come out of it and change that for the better, which obviously is a problem that we've had since the beginning of time. Um, but this feels like a, you know, and, you know, once again, it's sort of like a spotlight has been shone and exposed a problem that's been there already, um, but perhaps gives us an opportunity to talk about the way to change things. Um, and I think a lot of that can feed into the way we travel, especially when we talk about sustainability. Um, And I think something that I'm thinking a lot about now is why I choose to travel and the trips I want to take when this is over and, you know, what I want to prioritize. And I think it's going to be different. And I think I'm going to value things that I definitely took for granted before, um, which sounds trite, but I think it's something that most people are feeling right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think to your point that while there is a chance we could slip back into some of these unsustainable ways of living and working, 
I really do believe that travel is going to be the exception just in terms of like how we're aware of our space and honoring the places that we visit. And I'm wondering if there is a narrative that you hope changes around modern travel as we come out on the other side of this time. I mean, I think what I hope is that people are more mindful um, of where they're going um, and how they're traveling and who they are interacting with when they travel. I hope people are kinder when they travel. Um, and I think I hope they put more thought into where they're choosing to go and where they're choosing to spend their money. Um, you know, I think already just in terms of the way people are people people are spending their money is different. You know, I want to support small businesses. I'm actively making an effort to do that just, you know, in the little bit of like online shopping I've been doing during this time um, and who, who I'm donating to or the, you know, the restaurant that I have bought a gift card to. And I hope that that line of thinking continues when we do start to be out in the world again and you know at traveler we want to be there for our readers in a way in which we can when it is safe to travel we can provide them the guidance to make those decisions and the decisions that are right for them but i think you know travel was people were traveling more than ever which was amazing um and it felt more accessible than ever and I really 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 hope that doesn't change I just hope that we become more thoughtful when we are um moving around the world definitely and that idea alone could be its own podcast episode or series even but for this particular interview I want to ask you one final question that I think is always a nice way to bring these conversations full circle and it is, why do you think slowing down our relationship to content will ultimately help us live, work, and feel better? Well, this has definitely been something I've been mulling over a lot over the last two months. Um, and I think slowing down our relationship to content is, you know, I keep on, I don't even like the word. I keep on saying mindful. I kind of hate that word. Um, but I do think there is a certain level of thoughtfulness that I personally feel like I lose when I'm consuming content all the time um and rapidly and unthinkingly um and so I think by slowing it down I will be consuming things that educate me more and make me think and hopefully make me understand or question the world or get angry about the world in a um more in a stronger way um but I also think I mean what a reminder that we are craving human connection now and like physical human <laughs> connection um and that it's irreplaceable than this current moment like I love I love the internet I love looking at my phone I work for a website I love creating content for people to consume but there is nothing worse right now than being on zoom calls all day and then having to zoom with my friends um when I can't actually physically see them and I think when we are able to slow down our relationship to content and 
ultimately like live and move around the world more freely, I think it will just make us feel more alive, which sounds incredibly cheesy, but it will. That was Lala Arakabu, Senior Lifestyle Editor at Condé Nast Traveler and co-host of the Women Who Travel podcast. You can follow Lale on social media at Lale Arakaglu and discover all things women who travel on Condé Nast Traveler's website and on social media at Women Who Travel. Stay tuned as we share highlights from this episode and more on our own social media channels at Slow Stories Official on Instagram and Slow Stories Pod on Twitter. I'm Rachel Schwartzman, and thank you so much for listening to Slow Stories.